If you have a Bible, if you'll turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 2 this morning, we're going to begin a six-week sermon series that we're calling Pillars of the Faith. These pillars that we really need to make sure that we have that support this incredible good news of the gospel and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So in many ways, these are some of the like the ABCs, uh, the good news of the gospel, that we got to make sure that we have these pillars firmly fixed in our lives, firmly fixed in our church, uh, the things that will support us through thick and thin. My family and I uh, arrived in the summer of 2000. Uh, we arrived in Wittenberg, Germany, right at dusk. And I was so excited to be in Wittenberg because we were in the midst of a, a Reformation tour looking at the sites of this Protestant Reformation. And here in Wittenberg, this was like ground zero. Uh, this is like where, where the Reformation uh, began, the Protestant Reformation that would turn church history, that would turn so many things. It was right there in Wittenberg where, in many ways, it began. And while we got there at dusk, it was kind of late. I couldn't wait to the next day to go and start our sightseeing. I had to go right away. I had to go to the castle church where Martin Luther back on October 31st, 1517, did something that started this whole incredible Protestant Reformation. What he did is he nailed 95 theses, which is kind of like 95 arguments or 95 truths that he nailed, and he nailed it to the church door. And it started a really a Reformation. It was incredible. And by the way, you think, who has the audacity to nail things to a church door? Who does things like that? I mean, wow, what kind of rebel? And by the way, a church door back then was probably the community bulletin board, and that's what they nailed it. That's where they kind of let things know what was happening in the community. And by the way, not everybody could read it because a lot of them were illiterate, but God used that to bring an incredible reformation. God used that in the the sounds of that, nailing it to the, the church door, still reverberate. And I couldn't wait to get there. It was dusk. And I ran and brought Katie. It's like, Katie, here it was. Back in 1570. Those are the doors that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses in. She goes, I, I don't think so. That was 1517. They, they look metal to me. No, no, those are the church doors. I'll show you. Look around find a little rock, and I throw it at the doors. Now hit pause. Who does that? <laughs> what kind of ugly American is going to show up in another foreign country and make, who tries to prove a point by throwing a rock at a historic site there? That's, that's what I did. And it made the most beautiful ping sound, a very metallic ping sound on the doors that made me say, now clearly those are the wooden doors. He's like, so the next day when the sun rose and we went back and we saw the historic doors that were not wooden, that were metal, that actually have etched in it kind of the story. Guess who was right once again? And guess who was wrong? Um, but man, it was there. But it was at, at those doors. It was at that doors that many ways swung open this Protestant Reformation. 
what happened at those doors, what really swung open was the good news of the gospel was going to be advanced. It's through those doors and the good news of the gospel that we find these pillars of faith. So this morning as we start this six-week journey uh, entitled Pillars of the Faith, we're going to be really unpacking what came out of the Reformation that often is known as the solas. Now, the word sola is Latin for alone. And so there is so much teaching that came out of the Reformation. Now, let me tell you, this was not new teaching. There was nothing new about the Reformation. What was new about the Reformation is they went back to God's word. And Martin Luther was a guy that would translate God's word into the vulgar language, they call it, the people's language of German. And people started translating it, and all of a sudden people got the Bible back into their hands, back into their lives. They started to realize this incredible story of God. They started to realize what this gospel, that they somewhat lost. But let me tell you, the gospel will never be lost because God wins. And he's not going to let the dark ages or anything through human history lose the good news of, of Christ Jesus. But what emerged out of the Reformation and all the teaching, well, it can kind of be summarized in these solas, uh, these, these things alone. It's very important. It's the good news of the gospel that is clearly taught in Scripture. And what it really is is this, is that our salvation that our standing before God, our, the gospel is this, our salvation is found by God's grace alone. It's through God's grace, it's in God's grace alone. It's through faith alone. It's according to scripture alone. It's all done in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. So grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone for the glory of God alone. Those are the solas. And so these are the pillars and we're going to look at these for the next uh, six weeks. I'm also, on Mother's Day, going to be teaching about God's beautiful design of gender, of male and female. It's so important that we live in a time now that we understand God's beautiful design of gender. So these are the pillars of the faith that we will be examining. This morning we begin with the pillar of the faith that our salvation is based on God's grace alone. If you're sitting there... This should, if, if I do my job and the Holy Spirit empowers this, you should be leaving here really wanting to sing Amazing Grace like you never have before. Because you're going to realize that salvation is not based on you and what you do and what you haven't done. It's not based on how good you are or how bad you were or are. Salvation is based, according to Scripture, on God's grace alone. So we're going to be looking at three things this morning. As we look at God's word, we're going to see that uh, who we are apart from God's saving grace. We're going to see the immeasurable riches of God's saving grace. And we're going to see who we are by God's saving grace. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, um, we'll be looking at verses 1 through t uh, 10 and this incredible word of the Lord. So hear the word of, of the Lord. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that, God, that we can have this in our hands, the living word of God in a language that we understand. And, God, this is the fruit of the Reformation. And, God, we thank you that, that your word points us to the beautiful reality that salvation is found by your grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone according to your word alone, for the glory of God alone. So God, we pray that you would come and that you would do that which only you could do, that you'd speak through a broken sinner like me, that, that God, that you give each one of us here in person or online the ears to hear your voice, that God, that you give us the minds to understand your word, that you would be so gracious, that you would give us the hearts that, that would embrace your truth and your love and the good news of the gospel. That, God, you prepare our feet because why, in Christ Jesus, we are your workmanship. And you have prepared for us some good works for us to walk in. That, God, that our feet would walk in those good works that you've prepared for us. We pray this uh, that for your glory and your glory alone. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more of that masterpiece in Christ Jesus that we are because of the gospel? For your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. So as we begin this incredible passage and start breaking down what does it mean that we are, by God's grace, saved by God's grace alone? And we ask the question, who are we apart from God's grace? And we are apart from God's saving grace. It says in the reality of Scripture, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Scripture will say in Ephesians 2.1 that that we and the way we walk, our, our, our trespasses and, and our, our sins of thought, word, and deed, that we, apart from God's grace, we are spiritually dead. Now, it's interesting because that follows pretty closely, perfectly closely, actually, to the, to the word of God that tells us from the very beginning, as he created man and woman in his image, and he gave them the gift of life, and he told them that, hey, if you rebel and you sin, the consequences of rebellion and sin is going to be death. 
and we see that that death has borne fruit, when everyone who has ever lived has experienced death. So there's a physical death. But what happened with sin, there was an immediate spiritual death. There was a separation from God. There was something that happened, a nature that had died. Man was created holy in God's image, was created righteous with the ability to please God and to know and to love God. And as soon as sin entered the picture, that ability died. So when Paul says to us that we, apart from God's saving grace, the picture is a picture that's ugly. It's a picture that you and I are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, hit pause. We know that we have physical life. Uh, we know that apart from Christ, there's, there's, a, there's a cultural or common good that all of humanity can have by God's grace as his image bearers. But he's talking specifically spiritually. And he's talking specifically of our ability to reach or please God our ability to respond to God, so on a spiritual level, apart from God's grace, because of our sins, because of our trespasses, we're spiritually dead. That is the starting point. We are dead. And now, if you are spiritually dead, guess what you need? You need new life. You need to have a new life given to you. If you are spiritually dead, you need something more than rehabilitation. If you are spiritually dead, you need something more than rejuvenation. If you're spiritually dead, you, you don't need just a little help getting over the finish line or a little help getting better or just a little help uh, being uh, good. You actually need to have, if you're spiritually dead, you have to be made a new creation. You need to be made new or recreated for us to be saved. Now watch this. This is very important because I'm going to connect some dots for you. We are, apart from God's grace, spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. The only way we can be saved by God's grace is to be made new. So this is what Jesus says. Now, there was a teacher of a law named Nicodemus, pretty interesting guy that you follow through Scripture. He's going to be there at the end of Jesus' life and, and, and want to help with Jesus' body. But Jesus, uh, So Nicodemus, he was a teacher of God's law. He was a religious man, and he comes to Jesus in John chapter 3 at night. Why do you think he came at night? He didn't want to be recognized. He was a little fearful because it wasn't the thing of the religious people to do was follow this rabbi named Jesus because he was really radical and he was claiming to be God's son in a unique way and the only way, truth, and life. So here you have Nicodemus who comes to Jesus at night. It's recorded for us in John 3, and we know the famous John 3:16. But in John 3, 3, he's asking Jesus, okay, clearly you're from the Father because no one teaches like you do Clearly, you're different than any other rabbi. So how do you get in? What is salvation all about? And Jesus throws him what feels like an incredible curveball. Jesus answered and says, truly, truly, or let me tell you the truth. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is confused. How do I go back in my mom's womb? How, what, what, what is that all about? 
Jesus says you've got to be born not just of water, not naturally, you've got to be born of the Spirit. That there's something happens for you to be changed, there's something happens for you to be saved, and that the power of God is we don't need just rehabilitation or rejuvenation, we need recreation. You need to be made new. Because why? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. That's, you have to have a new nature given to you by God's grace. He needs to make you fresh and new uh, spiritually. Paul will say it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and let me make sure we know what it means to be in Christ. When you're in Christ, it doesn't mean that you've necessarily joined a church or, or that you've done something religious. Oh, those, those are important things. You are in Christ by God's grace through faith. You have embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now you are in Christ. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they've placed their faith and trust in him alone. Here's what it says. He is a new creation. He's new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, radical saving grace is needed for us to be saved. Dead men and women cannot do anything to help save themselves. Okay? Dead men and women can't respond to anything except by God first giving us, regenerating us, making us new. Our only hope is in God's grace, grace, and God's grace alone. He would come to us and make us new. Come to us and, and, and give us ears to hear the ability to change our nature. We, we, we can't change our nature on our, our own. So we are, apart from God's grace, dead in our trespasses and sins, and now he's going to make it a little bit broader. We are by nature, it says, by nature, naturally, children of wrath. That's by nature, okay? Um, from the womb, he's saying, we are sinners. So I, I love this riddle. Let me ask you this riddle, and I know you're going to get it right because you are so smart. Are we sinners because we sin, or do we sin because we are sinners? Think about the riddle. Are we sinners because we sin, and we do, or do we sin because we are sinners? Anybody know the answer? They're spellbound. Will, what is it? <laughs> yes, great answer, Will. Listen, we sin because we are sinners. Um, no one has to go back to our King's Kids nursery and say, hey, everybody, we're going to teach you how to sin today, all right? We're going to teach you how to say mine. We're going to teach you how to knock over the kid who's got your toy. We're going to teach you how to fib and lie. Guess what? It comes au naturel. Why? Because we are, by nature, sinners. No one has to teach our kids as cute and beautiful, Christina, as your kids are, and I love Luke and James. They're amazingly beautiful. But by nature, they're like you and me and Chris and Katie and the rest of us. By nature, we're sinners. David would say it this way. Don't forget, David had a heart after God. In Psalm 51.5, he'd say, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It doesn't mean that his mother was a tramp and had a bad relationship. It was basically saying, hey, there was a brokenness that started in the story with Adam that got passed down to me, that depravity came to me, and I'm born that way. Here's what you got to know. We are not born tabla rusa, or tablo rusa, or however you pronounce that. We are not blank slates. We are not blank slates that the world's going to draw on. 
We are broken, sinful warp plates that need to be made new. Why? Because of the story of the Bible. It gives us the understanding that once Adam sinned, he represented us, and his sin became our sin. His guilt became our guilt. That should make you angry. And you should say right now, that's not fair. I wasn't there. That was a long time ago. How can Adam, how can I be guilty for that dude's sin? And why, just because he ate what he shouldn't have eaten, and he did what he ate, how can that be mine? Well, we realize that Adam's guilt was passed to us. Hold on. Just like Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. Got to have one or the other. And Adam's brokenness came to us. And that everyone since Adam fell has been born a sinner. And what does that mean? Every single one of us here, everyone who's ever lived, we need radical saving grace. We, by nature, are sinners dead in our sins and, 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 and trespasses. Who are we apart from God's grace? Hopeless. Again, hit pause. There's never been a human being born that isn't born with worth. And the worth is found in the image they bear. And the image they bear is God's. And that image is of infinite worth. So we always fight for life. Yes, they may be dead in their trespasses and sins. Yes, they may, may be like us by nature, children of wrath. But they have incredible value. You've never met a human being that doesn't have incredible value because of our God's value. Make sense? But now we'll talk spiritually. But the second thing, the immeasurable riches of God's saving grace. This whole thing starts off with the bad news. Dead, nature, wrath. I mean, child of wrath. But God, this whole beautiful thing hinges on God and on God's grace. That's the turning point for our salvation, it's God, but God. Now, here's what we have to realize about salvation. So important. Salvation is God's idea. It's his idea of this immeasurable riches of God's saving grace. It's his plan. Before time began, God had a plan to love you and to rescue you through the giving of his son. Salvation is God's idea. But here's what blows our mind. Not only is it God's idea, watch this, it's God's execution. What does a dead man add to the equation of salvation? It's God. It's God's grace. God so loved the world that he would demonstrate his own love for us that while we are dead in our trespasses and sins, he would send Jesus to come and rescue us. So what does Jesus do? Jesus lives the life that a holy God requires of us. Jesus dies the death that we deserve Jesus is resurrected for us, so why? So that we could have new life. Salvation is the Father's plan. Salvation is the Son's execution or His fulfillment. Now watch this. Salvation is the Holy Spirit's application. How do us who are dead in our trespasses and sins find this new life? God gives us a new heart. He makes us born again. By God's grace, he gives us a new nature. This Holy Spirit comes upon us and gives us this life. And now, now we freely, willingly, joyfully embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior. So the turning point is God. Because salvation is his idea, it's God's execution, it's God's application. And why? Because our God being rich in mercy. Do you know that God leads with mercy toward his children? 
hit pause. What if God led with justice? What if God led with wrath? God could lead with whatever he wants to. God is God. And we have nothing to say about how God was going to do that. But the good news that you and I need to know, that God leads with mercy for his sinners like us, for his children. As scripture will say out of Psalm 86.15, But you, O Lord, are a God who is merciful and gracious. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Did you hear that? That's our God. You're a God who's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, what we know about God, some people will say that the only attribute to God that matters is love. That God is love, and that's the only thing that matters. It's not true. That's an important thing. He leads with mercy. He loves us. But God is just. God is holy. And God is all those things perfectly. And God doesn't just mess up his holiness and his justice because of his love. And his love doesn't take away the, who, the reality of who God is. So the question you want to ask yourself, well, how can God be that thing? How can God be holy? And how can God be just? And how can God be loving? And how can that work if we're such broken sinners? And it doesn't work apart from the cross. And at the cross, we see a God who's just. Someone's paying the price for our sins. He said there'd be death, and there it is. As I, I, We see a God who's holy. There is the spotless Lamb of God who lived the life that God required of us. God didn't change the rules. God didn't say, oh, that sin doesn't matter. He held the standard. The God who's loving and merciful, who poured out his wrath on his son so he, can, so he could lead with mercy and grace with us, so he could lead with love. That is who our God is, our God who is rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us. I love that. I mean, it's just like Paul can't even figure out the words to describe this. It's like the great love with which he loved us. I mean, it's just incredibly great, the language that he's lavishing upon us. What is great about God's love? Let me give you a couple thoughts. It's great in distance. God would so love us that he would send his son to come from heaven to earth. God's love bridged the gap between heaven and earth. Jesus came the great distance to save us. Why? Because he loved us. It's great in value. Jesus would say, no greater love than anyone has experienced in this than to lay down your life for my friends, and you're my friends. And I lay my life down for you. The greatest value of love is Jesus' blood that was shed for us. Great in power. God's love for us in Christ Jesus, it transforms us from, watch this, the transform, by nature we're children of wrath, but who are we in Christ? We are beloved children of God. What a transformation. What kind of love that is. 1 John 3.1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God, and I love the next part so much, and that is what we are. Man, a love that has made us not from a, ch from a child of wrath to a child of the King. That's incredible. A love that is great in time. He loved us before he created anything. He loved us before time. He's loved us for all eternity. And there'll never be a moment he doesn't love us. That's why I try to tell our kids up here. Let me give you a little bit of Paul, what he says earlier in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Does God love you? Do you think he, do you think he was going to do something to make him stop? I mean, seriously, if the eternal love of God is so great, you think you're going to come to a point and say, oh, that's it, I've had enough. Really? You're, you're such a knucklehead, you're back. You know what? I'm done. If he loved you before he created anything, and if he loved you enough to send his son to come rescue you, and if he loves you enough to prepare a place for you, do you think that there's anything that can separate you for his love? You see why? Because great is God's love and strength. God's love will endure all things. Nothing will able to separate us from the love of Christ. Did you hear that? Nothing. You know what that means? Not even you. Not even me. I, I, I sometimes think I've disqualified myself from love. I, I got to be disqualified. I mean, how many times can you be a knucklehead and have them go, go back and say, I still love you? I mean, how many times? Paul will write in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, Never miss that. You can't be separated from God's love. You can't. You can't. Why? Because we are, he made us alive with Christ Jesus. By God's grace, we have a union with Christ in the gospel. We have a union with Jesus' life. His life is our life. His righteousness, our righteousness. His death, our death. He died for us. We have been crucified with Christ. His resurrection, our resurrection. We have been united with Christ in his resurrection. This is how Paul will say it in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One with Christ. You know what this means? As long as Jesus lives, so will we. We will live with him because death has been defeated and life in Christ. Death's been defeated, Mary. We're going to see your dad again. I know you lost him this week, but you didn't lose him. He just went home. And we know that nothing separates us from that love. And the story continues. We are saved, it says, by grace. Not by works. Not by merit. Not by effort. Not by what we do. Listen to this. This, this, this is radical. It's not even our partnership. It's not like, okay, Jesus does most of the good heavy lifting, and he came for us, and he did most of it, but now you got a little bit of your own here. you got to make sure you do your part and make sure you carry enough of your weight that there's a partnership with God. Listen, dead people don't partnership with anything. And it's his part, and it's his part alone. Salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone. It's not that he throws us a lifeline and we grab it. If he throws a lifeline to a dead, if you're in the ocean and you come upon a body that's bobbing in the water that has no life, throw them all the lifelines you want and see if they're going to respond. You can nail them in the head with a lifeline. You can do anything you want, but dead people can't reach. It's only by God's amazing grace. 
Now, if this is new to you, it may not feel good at first. But if this is true, this is amazingly radical good news. You will sing Amazing Grace. I use this illustration. Um, a firefighter. If your house is on fire and you are unconscious and the fire people, fire department arrives at your door and they knock on the door and you say, let me reach and help you get, get you reach to the door and open the door. Thank you for coming in. Man, I almost lost my life. And you and the fire department partnered together to save your life. Man, you would be so grateful for those fire department people. But if you were in that burning house and you were dead and your heart was not beating and you had lost life and they knocked through the door and they saw you and they started performing on you and they got your heart to start and you couldn't even hear them knock and you didn't even hear the sirens and you didn't even know that they were coming for you. You were dead. Who has more reason to go back to those fire department folks and say, man, I owe it all to you. I mean, I was gone, and you came and saved me. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and Jesus came and saved me. When I sing Amazing Grace, I sing Amazing Grace, because I, by nature, am a children of wrath. But by the grace of God, we are saved by God's grace alone. That's what came out of the Reformation. That's a pillar. That's it. We are raised up and seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. I mean, this is kind of weird Greek. Why is Paul saying this in the, in the past tense? It's startling. Wait a minute. I have been raised up with Christ. I am seated in the heavenly realms right now. What does that mean? There's a mystery to it, but here's what I tell you what it means. You're, you and me in Christ Jesus, we're safe and we're secure. We are in Christ Jesus. Because he lives, we will too. He's not going to give his grip off of you, no matter who you are or where you are. And then he says he wants to have this future grace through the coming ages, so that in the coming ages, this is, this is mind-blowing to me in verse 7. He's doing all this stuff. He says, by the way, so in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He's basically saying, I got to just show you how much I love you, and it's going to take eternity to show you. And I got some riches and graces that you haven't even seen yet. And wait till we're together face to face. And wait till we're at that wedding banquet of the Lamb. Oh my goodness, the immeasurable riches and graces that are coming to you, they'll never stop. More good stuff is to come. Do not fear. And then lastly, who we are apart from God's saving grace. We're Christ's masterpiece. God created all things through Christ Jesus. But we as Christians, listen, as Christians, those who were dead and by nature children of wrath and now are his children, that are his beloved children, that's his masterpiece. God's greatest work are for who we are in Christ Jesus. And we are his ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I started with this, but let me read this a little bit more. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. This is God's masterpiece in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, trans, uh, trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal through you, through us. How would he do it? 
For God took him who knew no sin to become sin so that in Christ Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. And here's what it says. We are his masterpiece. And here's what he says. It's credible. We're created for good works. We aren't God's masterpiece because we do good works. We are God's masterpiece and we respond by doing good works. That's why he's made us this way. We walk in these good works. This is the way we live. This is how we live. All right, let me, let me close with this. I know, I know that i got to wrap this up. This is really important. I, 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 this, is, this, is, this is the scriptures. This is the gospel. This is incredibly beautifully and good. But you know what I thought? Does it matter? What does it do when I look at the world and I see what's happening? What does it do with the race broken down relationships? What does it do with a political system that seems to be so angry and so upset and hateful? What does it matter that you're saved by grace alone? What does it matter for you tomorrow? I got a couple ideas for you. I think that they're found right here in God's word. We should be, how should we now live? How should we now walk? Humbly, humbly, okay? If it's true that we are saved by God's grace alone, guess what? But by the grace of God, there go I. Do you ever say that? I mean, how are you judging other people? I mean, I, I, please don't be on a pedestal. Don't think that you and I are more righteous or, or better than, than those around us. But by the grace of God, there go I. We're, we're, if it wasn't for God's grace, I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. Guess what? Pagans are going to act like pagans. Broken, sinful people are going to act like broken, sinful people. They're going to be a mess. And who are we? We should be humble. We are who we are by the grace of God. And we should be thankful. We had nothing to add to the equation. Everything we have is by God's grace. We should be the most thankful people that ever walked the face of the earth. Every breath we take is by God's grace. Everything he's given us by God's grace. We should be thankful and amazed at God's immeasurable riches to us in Christ Jesus. Humble, thankful, and fruitful. We are his masterpiece. I don't know. To me, it seems like God... What in the world were you thinking that we are your ambassadors? Are you kidding me? Can't you come up with a better plan than a bunch of knuckleheads saved by God's radical grace telling the whole world this good news? No, this is God's plan. And he wants you to be fruitful in your life right where you are. He, he, he doesn't, he's got you where he wants you. And maybe you don't see it yet. And, and maybe you think you should have more gifts or more situation. And, and listen, there's a brokenness to all of our stories. But he wants you to be fruitful. This world needs to see some light. And this world needs to have good news. And the good news only comes through Christ. And we do it humbly. Uh, and and, and we, we do it bearing fruit. And we do it thankfully. For the glory of our great God. Why? Because in Christ Jesus we're the masterpiece. Nothing to do with us. Because the master, look what he did with something dead. Look what he did with something that by nature was a child of wrath. Oh yeah, I'm not done yet. There's a lot more to go. But man, for the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor, may we live for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you for amazing grace. How sweet the sound. God, thank you for taking us dead in our trespasses and, and sins and making us fully alive in Christ Jesus. God, thank you for the transformation. By nature, children of wrath, but in Christ Jesus, beloved, child of the king. Unbelievable. God, may your people be humble, may your people be thankful, and may your people be fruitful, and begin with me. I pray in Christ's name, amen.